Outside the box. Hello and welcome to December's Outside the Box, a Frankenstein's monster of things to talk about. We've got a couple of reviews of things I've seen since last Outside the Box, a couple of reviews of things that will be on over Christmas, so you may or may not have seen them by the time you listen to this. And then we have a couple of things that we're looking forward to in the new year. I say we, I'm joined by Mickey. Hello, Hannah. Thanks very much for having me. You're welcome. Just to put a little stamp in this, it's currently Wednesday the 16th of December where we are. It's probably 27th of December where you are, or maybe if you're listening to it later, as if time hasn't lost all meaning enough as it is. We are now using the past tense about things that haven't happened yet, Mickey. Mind blown. I'm so confused. I'm just going to make a start. (laughs) Stop faffing around, right? Okay, Raised by Wolves. Have you heard of it, Mick? Oh, we're not talking Catelyn Moran here, are we? We're talking Ridley Scott. Yeah, it's Sky, 10 episodes, HBO series, sci-fi drama, executive produced by Ridley Scott. First two episodes are directed by Ridley Scott. Um, I think it will have finished and all 10 episodes will have played by the time anyone is listening to this. Set in the future, OBS. About two androids who are sent to a new planet to raise human children after the Earth is... I said that very Alan Partridge. Human children. (laughs) After the Earth is destroyed in a religious war. Natch. That's the premise. Hang on, isn't that the end of that Nicolas Cage film we watched? Where the children get, like, pinged into space. Well, yeah, except I think they were aliens, weren't they? Whereas these are androids. Aliens, but, yeah, androids. Yeah, the effect is much the same. Anyone who knows me knows that premise isn't entirely what I would describe as me. But what I will say is, while Ridley Scott has made some fantastic films, he's also made some iffy films. But those iffy films have still been quite watchable. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'll give it a go. Raised by Wolves, I mean, let's tackle that. Whenever I hear Raised by Wolves, I always think of either A, the Catelyn Moran sitcom, or B, the Eddie Izzard comedy sketch. Same. So, therefore, it just, I don't know, it doesn't sit. It gives it an odd air, this name. Also, obviously, it's a reference. Being Raised by Wolves is always a reference to the foundation of Rome. But given that this has a really religious context, I don't really see how that fits in. Personally, maybe that's something that will be explained in the future. To be clear, there's absolutely nothing new here, nothing at all. There's even stuff that Ridley Scott's done before. So if you're a Ridley Scott fan or a sci-fi fan, you may well have an entirely different opinion to me. I found it merely watchable. But what I have to say is it has in it an absolutely barnstorming performance by Amanda Collin, who's a Danish actress who I'd never encountered before, who plays Mother who is the ostensibly female android who is sent to space and who has, again, it's nothing that Ridley Scott hasn't done before, a very gentle, caring, nurturing side, but also turns into an absolute raging beast when her children are threatened, which Mm -hmm. seems very, get away from her, you bitch. 
honestly, absolutely great. Also, the Brit Abu Bakr Salim is father, and he is really great as well. So maybe it's worth a watch if you like something ponderous about the nature of religion and what people <laughs> believe and all of that stuff. Hey, it might be a long Christmas. Maybe you want to give it a watch. That is on Sky. Hannah, at any point, does one of the children burst out of somebody else's stomach? No. I'm not, well, I'm not, not watching yet. it. Although, oddly, what I will say about this is kind of towards the end. <laughs> oh. Kind of. And at the, it, I watched it and I thought, OK, that's where this is going. I'm not going to watch any more of these. This isn't a miniseries. This is an ongoing thing. And the indication of where it might go at the end of the first episode made me say, OK, I've seen this. I'm not going to watch any more. Intriguing. OK, here's something that's on the BBC. Black Narcissus starts on December the 27th. So indeed today, I think, today for oh, you, stop, maybe... stop talking about time, Hannah. No one can deal <laughs> with it. Not... We're all full and tired. It's a mini-series, a co-production between the BBC and FX. It has already been on in America, based on the book by Rumor Godden, which was previously made as a film in 1947 by Powell and Pressburger. It's about a mission of nuns to a Himalayan I don't know why, but mission of nuns. Is that the collective noun for nuns? A mission. Yeah. They're sent to start a school and a hospital where others have failed, and that's the kind of point of doom sentence there. And it's about what happens when thin air, ghost stories, and sexual frustration combine to start to send people a bit mad. Catholicism. That's what happens, isn't it? There you go. Absolutely (laughs) that. It is claustrophobic, but I feel like it's not claustrophobic enough, to be honest. I don't know that it necessarily needed a three-hour running time, to be honest. I think maybe it could have been done in another film. Uh, Gemma Arterton is playing Chief Nun. That's not her name. (laughs) Who was originally played by Deborah Kerr in the Powell and Pressburger film. It has Diana Rigg in in her last role, because obviously... Diana Rigg died earlier this year. Jim Broadbent, Gina McKee, Rosie Cavaliero. I never get this right. Cavaliero, who is always, always, always solid. So great cast. I just, I, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't work for me. But again, it might be other people's bags. A lot of it hangs on Ashling Francoise, who people might remember from The Fall. And she didn't really do it for me in the fall and she doesn't really do it for me here. But maybe if she does do it for you, you'll enjoy that. So, Do you like a bit of Powell and Pressburger? Um, I have seen Black Narcissus, the film. I, I mean, yes, I do, but I can't say I'm in any way expert on it at all. I do love the red shoes. Yeah, yeah. That's all I've got to offer on that because I haven't seen it. There is a festive version of Motherland, um, but unfortunately the BBC is not making it or hasn't made it available to me to watch. Maybe not just specifically me, maybe everybody. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they've just singled me out and gone, no, sodder. I read in the news that even when it comes on the telly, you're not allowed to watch it. <laughs> just going to be like fuzz. It's yeah. going to be that girl on the test card with a chalkboard that's what I'm gonna have to watch I don't know why but I thought you were gonna say it was gonna be that girl from the ring that's what I thought you might have to watch yeah I mean that would be also yeah horrifying but thanks there's a thought that's in my head now (laughs) when I'm watching the Motherland Christmas special sorry it's not it's not Motherland it's Motherland isn't it Motherland sounds like Motherland like Superman and Spiderman yeah it's a country (laughs) 
Which brings us to the Ghosts Christmas special. Hooray! Which we have watched, both of us have watched. The BBC have kindly given us access to it before Christmas. So. I mean, it was a faff, um, but we got there. It's on on the 23rd of December, which I was surprised by. It screams Christmas, Christmas Day, Day yeah. to me. Absolutely screams Christmas Day to me, but maybe next year. I don't know if people are fans of ghosts or not. The good thing is that quite often Christmas specials have to be broad so that because that's the point at which they might grab a few more people in, people who don't usually watch it but are watching it because they're being forced to by their family and go, oh, actually, this is quite good. I might watch this more often. But if you haven't watched it before, I think you could actually dive in here and it would work for you. It's about Mike's family coming to stay for Christmas anchored by two speeches by Julian, the MP with no trousers on. Um, <laughs> the first one's made by Julian Fawcett MP and the second one is made by the ghost of Julian Fawcett MP. And we can get onto that in a minute. When Lawrence Rickard was on the on our gig cast, he said to us that they tried to do something a bit different with it and he wasn't sure if it would work or not. And I think I can tell him that it absolutely does work. Seconded. R- written by Simon Farnaby and... Ben Wilbond. We were talking about Simon Farnaby just the other day and when we were talking about him writing Paddington 2 and the combination of Paddington 2 and this makes me think that he, I mean, he genuinely is the coming man when it comes to writing like comedy and family comedy and good family comedy. I would be absolutely amazed if we see this decade out and he hasn't won an Oscar or a BAFTA or something because I think everyone is going to catch on to how well he writes. And to me, everything about how well he writes hinges or, I mean, obviously Ben Wilbond was involved in this, hinges on a callback, which is a comedy way that you write. He repeats the words family, family, family. And it is absolutely bloody beautiful, like seriously lovely. They really know what their strengths are and their strengths... They play to really, like, really well here. I mean, Charlotte Ritchie has a beautiful voice and used to sing professionally, which they really make the most of here. Everybody knows that Robin should be a dog and they make the most of that <laughs> joke here. It did make me laugh because, obviously, in our gig cast, you did ask Lawrence if you could have Robin as a pet. Yeah. And he didn't give it away. He did no. giggle a lot, though, so now we know why. Yeah, it doesn't do anything as shit as having catchphrases, but yet it knows the sort of thing that its characters say so well that there's just some beautiful stuff in here, most of which is pat. I still get a tingle in my dingle on Christmas (laughs) Eve. It was just delightful. Also, when he starts talking about uh, Twister, which the captain calls Twist It, which I don't even know why that's funny, but it is. When he says, lay it down flat or you'll break your ankles. (laughs) like both julian and pat have their storm off line that they say in this and both of them are brilliant julian says i'm taking the jag for a drive and uh pat says i'm going to the shed to drink what news both (laughs) of which are just priceless yeah i loved it but for me top joke in all of that was when mike was asleep in bed or they were in bed and he said why does my family treat me like a child and he said Oh, quick, pretend to be asleep. My mum's coming with me pillowcase of pants and deodorant. (laughs) And uh, that's a Dunleavy Christmas right there. (laughs) And I've got to say, I actually love that because I felt like this episode, this Christmas special, gave Mike a lot more to do. And while I understand what role Mike's character 
plays and Carl Smith Bino is excellent in it. It was just so nice that actually he had his own storyline that wasn't necessarily trumped entirely by what the ghosts were up to. Clearly, yeah. they're still my favourites. The thing is about ghosts, and I think it, it, this relates to what you said about why isn't it on Christmas Day, because I totally agree. And even though it's only two series in, it feels like it's so warm and so beloved that we've had it for years. So why isn't yeah. it on Christmas Day? And that really just encapsulates the skill of the writing and the acting and the the sheer joy of every single episode. And the whole family bit, I think obviously when... They must have been writing this in lockdown, I imagine, and so. No, I think I think they filmed it at the same time they filmed the other stuff. I think this is pre-lockdown. Ah. Which I thought, fuck me, talk about predicting the future. Interesting. Or maybe not, but. Well, either way, I guess, you know, Christmas is very much seen as a time for family, for those of us who are lucky enough to be able to spend time with our families, usually. But in a year when the choice of whether to see your family is so massively loaded with risk. And on, and I actually watched it on the day where I made the very hard call that I wasn't going to go up north and see my mum and my family, who I've seen for like four hours in 2020. I ended up booing. I had a proper little cry. It's so beautiful and, and absolutely, absolutely captures that loving annoyance with which all of our families kind of come into our lives or are in our lives. Yeah, I loved it. Series three, please. Yeah, absolutely. So clearly, after that gushing review from both of us, <laughs> Ghost was one of our favourite series of 2020, and rightly so. And if you haven't watched it yet, and it took me a while to get round to it, despite Hannah Dunleavy's constant nagging, and you know, you hear it on the podcast, I get it on a minutely basis on an email well, when it became about ghosts. Do what I did and just binge it, and it was just the best week ever. It was amazing, so do get involved. But... After the break, we are going to be back to talk about some more of our favourite TV shows of 2020. Time to make a brew, mate. So, welcome back. As Mick said earlier, we are going to, and by earlier I mean just <laughs> seconds ago, both in your world and in my world just seconds ago, we are going to have a chat about some of the best stuff we've seen this year because if you are at home, you know, perhaps in a slightly emptier home than you were anticipating. Uh, we can't offer much, but we can offer to fill it with some great TV. So the point that I would make about Ghosts is that Ghosts is on the iPlayer. And quite often when you suggest stuff, it doesn't always hang around, which is why I thought I might start with a couple of documentaries that I wanted to mention on Netflix because the one great thing about Netflix is when it makes it, it stays there forever. You will always be able to find a Netflix series that is recommended. Actually, quite a few we watched this year. I wanted to just re-mention a couple of them. The Challenger documentary was terrific. I believe you've watched it since I talked about it, Mick. I have right? to watch your recommendations, otherwise my life is hellish. But also, <laughs> it was excellent. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I thought I knew the story and I remember watching it as a kid, but just to get involved with the lives of the people who were working on Challenger and, of course, the, the crew that died in the accident was amazing. And, yeah, just that and Chernobyl, and I do feel like we still haven't learned any lessons. So, yeah, terrifying at the same time. 
Absolutely. Also, I would mention, I mean, I could just sit and list loads, but I would mention early on in the year, we all watched The Mind of Aaron Hernandez. Yes. Which was excellent. Mm-hmm. I thought. I was talking about it with a friend of mine recently, and he said to me, what do you think about, you know, why he did the things he did? And I said, well, I mean, there is interesting stuff to be said about the toxic culture of sport and how young men are built up to be heroes and how they go from very working class backgrounds, quite often quite impoverished backgrounds, and then have loads of money and aren't given any guidance on maybe how to behave or how to spend their money or or anything like that. And, and I started to say stuff about that. And I was like, and you know, it's a very sexist. And he said, Hannah, he had a fucking hole in his brain. And I was like, yeah, I think it was the hole in his brain. <laughs> and I think that's what's interesting about it. Because just to be clear, it's a story about a footballer, Aaron Hernandez, who was... American um, footballer. Obviously, NFL American footballer, who was involved in a number of crimes. I don't really want to do too much of a spoiler for you, uh, but the spoiler is there in as much as it also questions the head health. And by that, I mean literally the physical brain health of people who make American football. And given, actually, that a lot of the summer was spent with a lot of big organisations, you know, like big football clubs, and again, I'm talking American football clubs, although it did happen over here too, making statements, very public statements about how they felt about, you know, what I can only describe as, you know, social justice. People call it social justice. And it makes you realise how performative it is when, in fact, they don't give a shit about young, poor men who are put really through the meat grinder that is American football, not just the ones that end up injured and end up with essentially parts of their brain gone and damaged, but also the ones that fall by the wayside in a number of other ways. So, yeah, I think it's really, really interesting. It is as if they see them as nothing more than Sabutio players to be manipulated as opposed to actual human beings. What would you recommend that's still available to watch on Netflix in the the realm of documentary? Well, yeah, like you, I've actually watched the first wave of documentaries this year. Cheer, Challenger, The Social Dilemma, My Octopus Teacher, A Life on Our Planet, which I'm going to give special mention to because David Attenborough's glorious, heartbreaking witness statement is a must watch. But it's actually Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution, which is a Netflix documentary exec produced by the Obamas and directed by Nicole Newnham and Jim LeBret. That is the one that has stayed with me. And I think it's because, a bit like with Attenborough's actually, it's because it shows a lot of work being done and a lot of work that has been done. In Crip Camp's case, it's about bringing inequalities to light, fighting for disability rights, and just just getting seen as human. But there is still so much to do. So a little recap, Crip Camp starts in 1971 in the Catskills at Camp Jenid which was this sort of loose, woodstocky, free-spirited camp designed for teens with disabilities. And that's where we meet a lot of our protagonists who, despite everything, that's against them. And as well as, like, insidious ableism, that also includes the overprotective love of their parents in a lot of cases, telling them that they can't do stuff. But here at Camp Jenid, they're finding their voices, they're finding their feet, and they are wanting to change the world and fight for their rights. So then we move from the camp to their lives back in uh, the real world, in inverted commas, where they're treated as second-class citizens, expected to be grateful for toilet access. And it is rousing and fury-making and heartwarming and funny 
And I do think everyone should watch it, even if it's just as a reminder that despite all their incredible fighting and steps forward, disabled people are still treated as second-class citizens in 2020, and COVID has absolutely shown that. So, yeah, I think, I think it's very important. And also, I still love councillor, activist and supreme rabble-rouser Judy Human, and would like her to be the Queen. Thanks. I'll see if I can get that right. Thanks, mate. Anything else that isn't a documentary on Netflix that you wanted to mention, Nick? Absolutely. 2020 saw the sixth and final series of BoJack Horseman. The cartoon very much rattles about a talking has-been horse living in Hollywood alongside other anthropomorphised animals. And so it's hard to sum up BoJack and do it justice, as I've just proven, because what it actually did, I think, was change the landscape of TV using flights of fancy and that freedom that animation gives people to cover everything from alcoholism to miscarriage, abortion to dementia, love, loss, and all that's in between with real heart, wisdom, poignancy, and crucially, a sense of humour that is both silly and pitch black. So all credit to the writers who really did manage to make that final season feel like the end of an era. Although, as Hannah and I said at the time, splitting it into two a la The Sopranos, felt a bit unnecessary. I didn't really feel like I needed that weight between mm. the end of 2019 and the top of 2020. I actually do think The Sopranos is quite a good comparison, though, in BoJack, beautifully voiced by Will Arnett. We had an incredible anti-hero, albeit one who didn't murder anyone, or that we know of, at least. But despite not being particularly likeable, being downright mean to his so-called loved ones, and with the morals of a horny alley cat, I did find myself rooting for him. And that isn't to say that his inevitable downfall wasn't exactly the right thing for the writers to do, but I am glad his comeuppance came with some hope for those he hurt, for Bojack, and for all of us. And all seasons are on Netflix, and it might well be how I spend a good chunk of my betwixtmas. Agreed. I love Bojack Horseman. We're recommending that people watch it, so I'm reluctant to talk about the specifics of it, obviously, but I think... What was interesting, I mean, the last series, it, it wasn't a comedy at all. I don't think it was the worst for it, but it wasn't a comedy. But where several of its characters ended up, in genuinely what you would describe as unexpected places for many of them, mm-hmm. I found there's, there's some points to be made that, um, that I can't really make, actually, now I'm saying this. <laughs> but yeah, watch it and then... And then talk to me on Twitter about how, you know, good it was that it portrayed the idea that being perhaps approaching middle age and um, a series that had told you that being approaching middle age for a man was horrific, that it actually had its women approach middle age from a position of power, I found quite liberating, which is probably the easiest way I can say it without fucking it up. And you're right there as well. It morphed. And I think that's really key to its success because so many shows when they maybe lose how they started out and it very much the first series I think is it's pure comedy it's going for comedy and then like for me series four and five were the absolute heart of Bojack and by series six it's morphed into just a drama there are still moments of comedy and levity but it's mainly a drama but as you correctly say that doesn't damage it it didn't make me love it less no Okay, let's. you just said the word drama, so let's talk about some dramas. I suppose 
my choices of what to pick as dramas were made slightly easier by the absence of other things that I almost certainly would have picked as as my favourite dramas. For example, there was no succession this year and more on that later. But nonetheless, I'm curious how they would have stood up against what I think the two best dramas on television this year. They're both British and they're both written by women, which is terrific. Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You and Lucy Preble's I Hate Susie, both of which I think I can talk about in many ways in the same breath because they covered an awful lot of similar subjects. They're both limited series so they could get the job done in the time that they had. Mm -hmm. They both really balanced the line between comedy and drama really, really well. What a tightrope, yeah. (laughs) Weren't afraid to not be funny for ages if that's what it required, but also weren't afraid to put a joke right in the middle of something that other people might have put, like a character crying. But I think the most interesting thing, both of them, is that they are both what I would describe as very post-Me Too dramas. And although that kind of causes an eye roll, and it sort of causes an eye roll in me, because the truth is that when you get something like Me Too that made an actual sort of difference to the world, it kind of becomes a beast that in many ways can spin off the rails in the sense that you know you can put anyone can write something and then put hashtag me too next to it but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's all part of the same thing and I mean there are a number of articles in which men were outed as uh, predators that I feel now were not stood up correctly so what I appreciate really about both of these dramas is they actually make the point that there is nuance in these things that happen. And that while yeah. mm-hmm. no woman should ever be blamed by what's befallen her, it is still perfectly natural for a woman to ask herself questions about what she did to put herself in that position and how she led these events to happen to her. And I don't think saying, well, it's not your fault, is always helpful in that situation. Do you know what I mean? I think it's a natural way that your mind works. And how you saw these women in many ways unravelling and how things like social media made that worse than they could ever have made it better. I think uh, they both delivered a really nuanced point of view about what consent is and who is responsible for things that happen and sometimes that maybe no one's responsible for it and that sometimes maybe there is a bad guy. I haven't seen I Hate Susie and I really would like to but I don't have Sky but everything you just said yeah totally reflects what I got from I May Destroy You as well which was utterly stunning. I also loved how Michaela Cole sort of messed with the normal way that these things get screened. So she had 12 half hours that Mm. were shown two at a time each week. And it meant she had a bit more room to explore what she was trying to say. And it never felt rushed, which again, I think that desire Mm. to tie things up neatly means that sometimes it can feel rushed. And yeah, she, I, I listened to a podcast she did with Louis Theroux actually just the other day. And she says in that, she's like, you know, I'm the writer, but that doesn't mean that I am right. And even within her showing us all these different bits of nuance within a situation, she's also aware that people will take different things from that and that's okay. Yeah, 
Mick, do you have any, uh, what I'm going to describe as mainstream TV, as in terrestrial television dramas you wanted to mention? Oh, it's BBC Three Terrestrial Television. Yeah, yeah I mean, of. it'll do. Not Sky. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hive off the Sky section so that people can just listen to a song while I'm talking if they don't get Sky. <laughs> Isn't I Hate Susie on Sky? It is. Okay. I was listening to a song the whole time you were talking about it. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to talk about In My Skin, which was originally made for BBC Three. It is Kayleigh Clewellyn's extraordinary, largely autobiographical coming-of-age series, and it follows Beth and Quindaff, a down-on-her-look 16-year-old, just trying to fit in, grow up, and work out who the fuck she is, but while also hiding her home life from her pals. Her mum, Katrina, is bipolar, you see, and looking after her, even if that means getting a section very much falls to Bethan, because her dad, Dylan, played by Rodri Mella, is a full-time tosser and alcoholic. I'm not saying that those two are mutually exclusive, by the way. They are just what his character is. It doesn't stop Bethan wanting to impress him. One of the moments I found most heartrending within In My Skin is when it's about exactly that, her trying to impress a man that she doesn't really like, but is still her dad. Anyway, it's just one example of the fact that In My Skin has got the kind of emotional welly that will knock you to the back of your sofa. It's just five half-hour episodes long, so you'd think it's probably something you could binge in a night, and maybe you could, but I had to break between each one to let it settle, because there's there's a lot going on. I'm making it sound pretty bleak, and bits of it are, but seriously, while it did make me cry at least once an episode, it has got so many laugh-out-loud moments. I am talking proper belly laughs. Every performance is pitch-perfect, but the biggest kudos to Gabrielle Creevy as Bethan, and Joe Hartley as a mum, Katrina, and they are just astonishing. I couldn't recommend it more. It's so, so good. I also got to chat to Kaylee for the podcast, which is great and well worth listening to if you fancy it. I'm going to mention Home, which is available to watch on Channel 4. That was early this year. That was released. Who knows when we'll get another one, the way things are. Written by Rufus Jones, starring Rufus Jones, Rebecca Staten and Yusef Kirkor. He doesn't even have his own Wikipedia page. Come on now, people. <laughs> Somebody make him a Wikipedia page. That's outrageous. About Sammy, a asylum seeker who, for reasons that you will learn if you watch it, ends up living with Rebecca Staten and her young son. To the chagrin, mostly, of her boyfriend, played by Rufus Jones, who writes home. I I think it's just lovely, Home. it's It feels gentle while at the same time it's talking about some stuff that's actually pretty heartbreaking. And so good. round of applause to everybody involved. It's got a massive heart, hasn't it? It's just got a massive heart. Yeah. And also Rufus Jones in No Trousers, hilarious. Him swinging that plant pot round his head <laughs> while, while naked might have been the biggest, one of the biggest laughs that TV's given me <laughs> this year. So that is certainly worth a mention i was a big fan also of what we do in the shadows but really mickey glorious. i believe you've some things to say about that too oh yeah a brief but delighted tip of the hat for me for what we do in the shadows the second series wasn't quite as superb as the first but that is me being very nitpicky and it was still rampacked with utter joy as we follow the escapades of Bored with Eternal Life the vampires Nadja, Laszlo, Nandor and Colin Robinson and they're getting less hapless by the day familiar Guillermo uh, the fact that they gave us a standout Colin Robinson episode that was also a very smart take on social media made it an excellent watch. Uh, yes, please. More, please. 
all on the iPlayer. Get involved. Absolutely agreed. I can't believe that, despite everybody's hilarity, that Guillermo, the essential straight man, actually just completely <laughs> stormed Series 2. So, yeah, I look forward to Series 3 immensely. I'm going to move on to Sky. This is the bit where you can all listen to uh, some some Christmas carols while I'm talking. If you want, you know, if you get Sky, listen to me. Obviously, I love the good Lord Bird, but I have talked about that quite a lot recently. But that is hugely worth a watch. Ethan Hawke and David Diggs in that. Two David Simon dramas that may or may not still be on there or on now, depending on where you get your Sky. Um, The third series of The Deuce ended in January. Uh, The whole of The Deuce is massively worth the watch. It's completely brilliant. And then the single miniseries, The Plot Against America, which is based on the Philip Roth book that assumes that America didn't enter the Second World War. That is also absolutely cracking and well worth a watch. But actually, my favourite thing I saw on Sky all year has to be Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus, which is the most weirdly wonderful little animation series in which he interviews people. The first series is people involved in country and western, and the second is people involved in the world of funk. (laughs) The second one is just incredible. And then he animates the stories that they tell them, and it's really, really, really funny. I mean, like I say, the second series, everything about... George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars, obviously. Everything about Bootsy Collins and every time they mention Prince. Teeny I tiny absolutely, Prince. <laughs> absolutely pee my pants watching it. Mickey, have you got anything else you want to mention that people can catch up on? Well, there is a lot of time, hopefully, that people are going to have on their hands over Christmas. And so I would like to recommend Inside Number 9, whose latest episodes this year took Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton's incredible must-watch anthology series to more than 30 episodes of sheer brilliance and insane cleverness. They are sickeningly clever, those guys. It just continues to get better. And given it was nigh on perfection to begin with, that is no mean feat. Proper binge-worthy telly. All on the iPlayer. Excellent. Now, 2021, who knows what it holds? Because literally, who knows what it holds? Because what the knock-on effect <laughs> in a TV world, let's let's limit it to TV, <laughs> and I can't even predict that. What the knock-on effect is going to be of the shutdown for the best part of, well, depending on what country things are being filmed. One thing that we do know is coming. I do know it was half-filmed when the lockdown came, so they only had to film the second half and it is already on television in America, which means that they must certainly be right close to... um, Right close? (laughs) (laughs) They might be uh, really close to finishing it, which is the fourth series of Fargo, which this series, a different cast, it's an anthology series, if people don't know, set in Kansas in the 1950s. This series cast is led by Chris Rock. Looks really interesting. So I suppose that's the first exciting thing that's coming. The The thing I am personally most excited for is the return of Succession because yeah. obviously it's glorious yeah. and we might learn a little yeah. bit more about what's going on with my favourite characters, Jerry and Roman, Boss and Toss, as I like to call them. <laughs> so let's hope that we learn more. That work and jerk also works for that, just to be clear. <laughs> uh, I'm most excited about that. The thing that I have the most hope for, the thing that I'm most optimistic that I think is going to be fantastic is actually the second series of Perry Mason. Because I think the first per- series of Perry Mason was okay, but it felt like, whoa, there's a lot more coming. 
It reminded me of the first series of Boardwalk Empire. I feel an optimism of uh, of a level that I haven't felt since then. As in, well, that wasn't great, but I literally can't wait to see what happens next. Like you feel like you've put the work in and now, and now you will, I will be, rewarded. be rewarded. And then I will realise that it wasn't not great. It was just laying a lot of groundwork for some other stuff. So that will mm-hmm. be the things I'm looking forward to. Mickey, anything that you are excited about? Series three of Ghosts, please. Yeah. Yes. Get in my eyeballs. Obviously. Right. Mick and I are off to have a game of Twist It. <laughs> enjoy the rest. Left leg on green. <laughs> Left leg on green. And everybody else, eat a mince pie and enjoy the rest of your Christmas break. Outside the box.